0: This is Laura Deirdo with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Matt Dusick, Vice President of Cardiovascular for Providence Health System. Matt, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Hey, happy to be here.
0: Before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Sure, I'd love to. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is Matt Dusick, and I currently serve as the Vice President of Cardiovascular for the Providence Health System. In my role, I, I work with Providence cardiovascular programs across our seven state system, representing uh, about 22 cardiac surgery programs, 26 interventional programs, all of which that rolls up to uh, about $2.3 billion in, in net operating revenue, uh, innumerable hospitals, clinics, so a fairly large footprint. Now, I'm originally from Massachusetts, but I've been in Portland, Oregon for the last 13 years. I have an amazing wife named Judy, who is currently a doctoral program candidate and uh, she's doing healthcare consulting and together we have five wonderful children. You know, in terms of my my background, uh, I started in healthcare in 1995. At the time I was going down the path of clinical psychology and I got an internship at McLean Psychiatric Hospital, which is in the Boston area. I was working with patients who suffered from eating disorders I was conducting research on seasonal affective disorder. It was such a positive experience, but I ultimately decided to look outside of behavioral health, although I really kept a strong interest in the underserved. That led me to another great organization called Voices for Children in San Diego, and they focused on advocacy for foster children. A few years later, I moved to Oregon. I started in an MPH program at Portland State University, and also took a position within a software company that worked with clinical registries and clinical registry data. Uh, in fact, when I started with Providence nine years ago, I wasn't working in clinical programs at all. I was working as a project manager in our Oregon region on IT. And I'll never forget this. You know, one day my director called me into her office and asked me if I knew what a cabbage was. I said coronary artery bypass graft, <laughs> and she said, "Great, you're going to be working with the heart program." So that really got me started down the the road of service line work. When Providence moved to an enterprise clinical program structure, I followed my mentor into a system role, which turned into what I'm doing now. So definitely some twists and turns on my career path.
0: Absolutely. That's, you know, so interesting to see how you started off in one area and then ended up, um, you know, doing several things. And then <laughs> um, now we're in a completely different space with, you know, the heart care and cardiovascular services. So I'm really interested to, you know, get your perspective on on a few of the big issues today. Now, considering your role, what are your top priorities and how do you think these priorities will evolve in the next 12 months or so?
1: Sure. Well, our goal for the Providence Heart Institute is to live at the intersection of destination medicine and value-based care. So we kind of prioritize that work in two ways. I think the first way is that continuous value improvement that we try to achieve through our our, our constant work, uh, that transactional level of of capturing value. So what does this mean for our cardiology patients and for the efficacy of value-based healthcare? Well, we've worked, I think, as a system with the local programs, our providers, our administrators, as well as our shared service partners, like supply chain or pharmacy, to try to manage that utilization and deployment of high-cost drugs, adoption of new technologies. It's not that we don't use high-cost drugs at times, it's not that we don't adopt new technologies, but really trying to be strategic about when and where uh, we exercise that adoption. And so in doing so, it's it's very much resulted in better outcomes, but at the same time, it has created cost savings. So that's more of a transactional piece. Aside from that, we've also started looking at the way cardiovascular care is delivered, not at the transactional level, but at the structural level. So how are we structuring the way we deliver care? And rather than establishing separate specialty care centers in each markets, we're building integrated networks of care across our seven state system and making sort of collaborative decisions with our local physicians and administrators around which services live in which part of the network. And what that does is that creates a highly integrated whole that best serves the most patients with the best care, and it's care that's tailored to their needs. Now, we have a system, Providence Heart Institute Leadership Council, and that helps to set the strategic direction. But as you can imagine, many of these conversations are with the local cardiovascular programs and regional leadership. We look at quality data, we look at financial performance, national literature, and then many other areas to help guide the decision-making process. Um, I'd like to give you a a really great example of where this worked really well. So a man was visiting some relatives in, in one of our communities and he started to feel really sick. He went to the local Providence hospital. He got a cardiology exam And the cardiologist who examined him correctly determined that this person had something called a VSD, which is basically a hole in the wall between the ventricles in the heart. Now, this hospital has a very good cardiac surgery program, but this is a rare, highly specialized procedure that should be performed by a surgeon who's done a lot of them and should be performed at a center that has the specialized teams to anticipate and respond to any issues. So the cardiologist and the local surgeon called our quaternary program, which is about 60 miles away. And they spoke with the chief of surgery there. They had a really good collaborative team-based discussion. They reviewed the case and the person was transferred. So he went up to our quaternary center, underwent a very successful surgery, and was back with his family five days later. So this is exactly why we're trying to build these integrated networks is we wanna make sure that our communities have access to care and specialty care. And part of that is providing foundational and even tertiary cardiovascular care closer to home, but then really making sure that we can deliver that highly specialized care in the right setting, depending on that patient's condition. So your other question was um, looking ahead in the next 12 months. I think as we look ahead in the next 12 months, we really have the opportunity to evaluate how COVID has changed care delivery for the better and then to deepen our investments in this space. So for cardiovascular, virtual cardiac rehab, remote patient monitoring, digital innovation to improve access and ease the way for for both our patients and our caregivers, and then doubling down on our capacity to collect and use data to drive better outcomes. And And we see that not only at the service line level, but where Providence is invested in entities like Tegria and TruVeta.
0: Um, well, wow, that, that's really fascinating to think about, and you know, thinking about where COVID is. Obviously, we had quite a year last year, um, and so I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the big challenges that you're still facing today?
1: Sure, and, and you mentioned COVID, so I certainly cannot overstate the impact that COVID has had on not only our system but sort of the U.S. healthcare system in terms of delivering care, protecting our patients and caregivers, maintaining capacity. And then, of course, the the financial impact of COVID is well known. I do think that in some ways, the fact that Providence took care of the first known COVID patient in the U.S. helped us in that it gave us a little bit more lead time to learn and adapt in what at the time and and probably still continues to be a rapidly changing environment. You know, Bill, when we talk about, I think, challenges, even pre-COVID, the challenges were there. Uh, What COVID did in some cases would magnify them, but they still still existed. So I would say one challenge is integrating our experience in cardiovascular with the concept of whole person care. At the end of the day, we're treating the person and not just the heart, and, and people are complex. So people with atrial fibrillation may also have sleep apnea, and people with heart failure may also struggle with addiction, and people with valvular disease may also be malnourished. And on top of that, we know that that in some communities, there are barriers to access. And sometimes there are barriers to even basic public health services. And what this does is it really exerts downstream pressure on a system to take care of those people, but also it presents complex care challenges that require multidisciplinary solutions. And so we need to be able to work together both within our system and with our community partners rather than our own silos. So we think about involving uh, primary care, involving other specialists, involving our community partners, to take a little bit more of an integrated approach to caring for the whole person. And then I would say, uh, the other really major top of mind challenges is around simply maintaining our existing footprint, given the reality of our reimbursement, given the reality of our cost structure and our desire to invest in future strategic priorities. Uh, Providence has a very strong mission, and and part of our mission is to serve the poor and vulnerable, which means that we take on a larger percentage of the Medicaid population, the uninsured population, in in lots of our markets. And this then places greater importance on lowering our costs and optimizing our delivery system. So at the same time, we're seeking to expand access. We're, We're seeking to deliver equitable Care and we're certainly uh, looking to deliver high-quality care. So, as I was mentioning before, I think that a major way that we can fulfill this mission is to effectively build those networks. And what that will do is provide the majority of services close to home, and then concentrate the highly specialized treatment into our quaternary centers. And the good news is that our data shows that patients will, in fact, travel for complex and specialized care. So, those are probably the biggest challenges that that. Uh, we're thinking about right now.
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I I think especially when you look at trying to figure out how to make sure you're providing access to care and being able to maintain, you know, the services for patients who are um, living in, you know, vulnerable situations or may not always be able to afford care in the same way. um, I I think that's really interesting and and something that is obviously so, so important, um, from your perspective, is there anything that um, the health system is you know has in the works or has already begun to, to start doing in order to close some of those gaps?
1: I think you know probably the the first step is, is the awareness piece uh, if you asked if you ask the frontline caregiver is this an issue they probably have said this is an issue that we've been we've been looking at for years but I think that the fact that we are now in a position to invest in technology to improve access, we're able to invest in in, uh, telehealth or telemedicine to a greater degree, which could potentially put us into more neighborhoods or maybe connect us to more populations that in the past would have trouble accessing care that lived within a bricks and mortar um, clinic or hospital, for example. And I think we are being even more intentional than ever about reaching out for uh, our community partners. And so how can we bring the care to the community, leveraging people that are already there and organizations that are already there that that have been serving the community for years, now we're able to to connect with them better.
0: Got it, that makes sense. Um, Thank you for going through that with us. Now, how are you thinking about cardiovascular line growth in the future?
1: Good question. In in order to truly grow to serve more people, we really have to be the best place to get care and we have to be the best place to give care. What that means is that people would associate Providence with their improved health and that the best and the brightest people in the industry would wanna work for Providence. So when we think about taking care of more people, we're thinking about this in, in four major areas. Number one, creating better access for patients to our clinics, through virtual visits, utilizing uh, all sorts of diff- digital innovation and telehealth. Number two, we're focused on delivering best-in-class outcomes and experience to create destination centers of excellence as part of our networks. Third, we are now really engaging our payer partners to come into these networks And that means that we then have to deliver those outcomes. We have to deliver that experience. And we have to do it within an affordable cost structure that allows us to bring these to the market at an affordable price point. And then finally, we're focused on building capacity. And we can do that through clinical optimization like same-day discharge. We can do that through recruitment. And we can do that, of course, through working with our community physicians and partners. Now, when it comes to recruiting the best and the brightest, Providence has really done a good job at building a reputation as an innovative and integrated organization. We've invested and we continue to invest in new technologies. We invest in ways to optimize the use of data. And we really invest in connecting providers across our system. That might be to collaborate on research projects or just to provide a forum where they can share best practice for taking care of people. I think that that's attractive to people who are looking for not just a job, but, but for the job right, a job that is fulfilling and and allows providers to focus on what they do best. That's that's kind of how we think about growth.
0: Got it, got it. And that's a really great point in in terms of bringing people in and, you know, knowing how to uh, um, accommodate what they need and desire within their careers, as well as um, personally to to just be a great place to work. Before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging leaders today?
1: Well, I can try First, I would say, always keep in mind that you're only as good as your team and you're you're only as good as the people who you're partnering with to accomplish your objectives. So relationships then become really, really important as organizations become more matrix and as partnerships become more critical to meet challenges. Now, I personally feel extremely grateful for the team that I work with, for our partners across the Providence system, And for the amazing relationships that I've been able to develop over the course of my career. Second, take care of yourself. As you grow into higher levels of leadership and your responsibilities increase, you need more sleep, not less. More exercise, not less. More time with your family and friends. And you need time and space to just think. It's really important to be intentional in the way you protect time for yourself. The work will always be there. So I try to find time for walks with my wife during the day. I've coached my kids in basketball and soccer, and we love to travel. So we look for getaways wherever we can. And then finally, it's really important that as we get further from the bedside, we remember that behind every data point are are humans, right, are people. They are patients who experienced a cardiac event. They are families who lost parents and grandparents. There are caregivers who are working on holidays or during their children's events. And, and I sort of have a quick story on this. When I started at Providence, I had an office at St. Vincent Medical Center, which is one of our flagship heart hospitals. And every morning, like many of us do, I'd, I'd go to get coffee at the hospital cafe. So near the cafe, there's a color-coded elevator like you see in many hospitals. This one's purple. On the first floor between the coffee shop and the purple elevator is the ICU waiting room. So that's the area where people are sitting there waiting to hear news about their family members that are in heart surgery or or other people that that are experiencing some sort of trauma. Now on the third floor is the maternity ward. So every so often the elevator doors would open and new parents would be leaving with their babies. And they all had that joyous, I have a baby look on their faces. So you have people who are, who are arguably having the best day of their lives, walking right by people who are having really bad days. And I'll never forget that because it speaks to the different interactions that people have with Providence and with healthcare. And we all have a health journey, right? Every one of us, the extent to which we can help people along their own journey and ease their way is such an important part of healthcare leadership. So that last piece of advice would be focus on the world-class care, but don't lose sight of the human connection.
0: Matt, that's such a great image that you painted for us and really illustrates you know, everything that you've been mentioning here in terms of why it's so important to have uh, the care available and, and be able to provide for the community. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.
1: Thanks for having me.